0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Trevor here, writer and producer of The Sheridan Tapes. I know it's been a while since we've talked about it, but our merch store on redbubble.com has finally been updated with an amazing new design from artist and friend of the show, Aries Jimenez, featuring the Beachwood Monster from Season 1. Check it out, along with all of our other designs, at redbubble.com slash people slash homesteadcorner, or at thesherdontapes.com under the support tab. Get cool stuff and help us keep making the show. It's a win-win for everyone. And, as always, this episode of the Sheridan Tapes was made possible by our supporters on Patreon. Jocelyn Baker, Deborah, Lucy Mason, and Mary Cat. If you'd like to support the show as well, please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to ad-free versions of episodes, a special weekly behind-the-scenes podcast, and patron-only AMA livestreams. Before we get started, this episode contains descriptions of a mining disaster, hallucinations, paranoia, and loud noises including screams. Content warnings and a full transcript are available in the show notes.
1: All right, Anna. Here we go. Day one in Oslo. I've got my coffee. I've got my leads. I'm ready. Are you sure you don't know anything else?
0: Not a thing. Wish I did, but I just saw Sam that one time before he left town. No idea what happened to him after that. Sorry. And what about my sis
1: Anna Sheridan's fan? I heard he might have. (laughs) Stolen it when he left town.
0: <laughs> I really can't tell you that. You're gonna to have to ask someone at the police station. Trust me, I'm trying.
1: Are you sure there isn't anything else
0: you can Listen, tell me? Listen, lady. I'm sorry, but I really don't want to get any more mixed up in all this than I already am. I'm in enough trouble with Morrison already. You're who's Morrison? <sighs> you have a nice day, Kate. I need to go feed my dog.
1: Okay, that... That could have gone better. Uh, Ozzo investigation, day three. Yesterday was a bust, but I've got a good lead now, so... Today will be better. Today will be better. What do you mean they're all in a coma? Exactly that. They also come from the toxins of the fungi soon after they were brought in. But, uh, all of them? Is that normal? <laughs>
0: Nothing about this has been anything like normal.
1: Did any of them, I don't know, say anything? Before then, I mean.
0: Are you with the press, Ms?
1: Sheridan, no. I'm not.
0: Are you a family member of one of the
1: victims? What? No, no, no. I'm looking for information about my sister. She disappeared here in Oslo, and she was interested in things like Templi Prophetum. so I thought I I'm sorry, but if you're not a family member or the media, I can't tell you anything else. I'm in enough hot water as it is. If you need more, you should talk to- Yeah, Yeah, someone at the police station. Been hearing that a lot this week. God damn it. I can't sleep, so I guess we're starting the uh, Oslo investigation day five. Starting day five a little early. Or a lot early. Hooray. <laughs> oh, come on, Kate. Just wake up and. You have exactly 10 seconds to tell me who you are and what the hell you're doing on my property. Easy, easy, I'm, uh, my name is Kate and I'm just investigating- Kate who? Sheridan, Kate Sheridan. I'm investigating all the, uh, the weird stuff happening and also recently. Could you please just put the gun down? You press. Do I look like press? CIA? CPA, actually. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm an accountant. You're what? I'm just here uh, looking for some answers. Uh, my sister. Hmm. My sister disappeared somewhere near Oslo, and uh, uh, I was hoping to figure out if she... I don't know anything about your sister. I didn't think you would, but with what happened to your last week, I thought that maybe you would know... I don't know anything about anything like that. Now, please leave. I've got a barn I need to... Miss Smith, if you just l- listen... Don't I... make me repeat myself. You want answers? Ask around the police station. They're the ones who paid the hush money. What hush money? (sighs) Well, Anna, what now? This is also investigation day six and I've already run out of leads it's about 5 p.m. Peters out trick-or-treating with Andrew right now he just sent me some pictures and they look so cute <clears throat> I haven't been able to do anything all day. I've just been trying to find any scrap of news or rumors about supernatural occurrences around here. I gave up looking for specific mentions of Anna by day two. Besides a few newspaper articles and one half-baked Find Anna Sheridan campaign, it seems like no one even knew she was here typical Anna, drive into a town in the middle of nowhere without telling anyone camp out for a few weeks looking for ghosts and then vanish without a trace not for what happened back in Lake Isabella I'd almost think that (sighs) cut that out, Kate Anna's alive you know she is and she needs help You're not giving up on her like that. Not this time. I think I might've found something. I got frustrated with looking on the local news sites, so I just decided to search Anna Sheridan, Nevada. I didn't really expect to find much, but one of the first results was an entry from Anna's old blog. She wrote it back in 2003, so yeah, not exactly fresh, but it's something that directly connects her to Oslo, which is better than anything else I've found so far. And she actually recorded herself reading it and posted it on her website. She always did like the sound of her own voice, so that's not too surprising. Let's see what she has to say, then.
2: The Ghosts Below, by Anna K. Sheridan, based on a true story. <clears throat> there are ghosts beneath the sands of Oslo, Nevada, always have been, and always will be. East of the Sierra Nevada, where the Earth's crust is thin and fractured, is a place where where gold and silver once flowed like water. A place where the shadows that lingered in the caverns and mines sometimes crawled up through the rocks to terrify the hardy peoples who made a living off the desert's meager bounty. A place for ghosts below. Mm -hmm. The year was 1885. The place, Shampson, Nevada. One of thousands of little mining towns that sprang up on nothing more than a good well and the tenuous promise of a fortune. It was barely a town, and only the presence of a permanent post office and the will of the Braddock Mining Company put it on the map. William Braddock, it seems, had been keeping two eyes out for Nevadan gold for a long, long time. When the Comstock load began to fail and a few forward-thinking miners started looking for their next payday, they quickly found the Shamsen mine ready and waiting to extract one of the most promising seams the state had ever seen. By that point, Braddock owned the mine, the land and every mineral right that money could buy. The homesteader who first found the strike sold his claim for a measly thousand dollars, less than a percent of what Shamsen Mine would earn its new owners. And while Braddock was no miner himself, he was a ruthless businessman who knew how to suck every last cent out of his operations. Prospectors were drawn in to work by the promise of a higher than average salary, but quickly realized that the only housing and provisions available in Shamsen were company owned and cost nearly double what they should have. They still made just enough that they didn't feel they were being swindled, but only just. Money came and went in cycles in that town but it all came back to Braddock and his shareholders in time. The mine was a dangerous, back-breaking place. While there had been obvious dangers and the occasional disaster in Virginia City, the worst of it paled in comparison to an average day in Shamsen. The Comstock mines were clean, modern, and safe as any mine could be in that era. Shamsen's was not. Braddock made his fortune in the coal mines of Appalachia, and to him, a good day meant nobody died alone and suffocating in the earth. Everything else besides was immaterial. And so the miners who descended with pickaxe and dynamite in hand found the mine narrow, low, and dismally dark, poorly ventilated, and easy to become lost in. Someone was injured at least once a week, often fatally. There were occasional strikes and pickets, but most of these ended when Braddock threatened to call the debts his employees had racked up in the company-owned saloons and brothels. The few who could afford to leave or were willing to go on the run did so, and Braddock replaced them within a week. And all the while, the mine never stopped working first, extracting the gold was easy. The initial deposit was just below the surface, pure enough that you could pick whole nuggets out of the dirt at some points. A few months of strip mining removed most of this, leaving a series of canyons and narrow ridges in the foothills of Oslo County that are still there today. After that had been exhausted, the company began to dig down further into the earth, following the narrow seam of ore below the surface. Every day the miners descended and dug outwards, and every day the gold seemed to dry up a few feet from the central shaft. It was enough to keep the mine profitable, but after the initial boom, Braddock wasn't satisfied with being merely profitable. Not. By a long shot so they kept digging chasing the seam as it grew more and more narrow as though it were trying to lead them somewhere first hundreds of feet and then thousands below the earth as they drove cutting a thin channel through the rock held up by wooden scaffolding and the power of human greed at those depths The miners began to report odd headaches and flashes in their vision as they descended in the newly installed elevator. But after repeated checks for noxious gas turned up nothing, they were sent back to work. The shadows grew darker as they toiled into the fathomless depths of the desert. And then, only then, did the scene begin to expand again. The Shampson Mine, nearly half a mile deep and almost a mile wide at its lowest levels. Braddock's instincts, misguided as they might be, were correct. Most of the gold wasn't on the surface, but far below it. The small elevator cage, now the only way to quickly get into or out of the mine, was moving almost constantly carrying exhausted miners to and fro at all hours of the day and night. The tunnels expanded out in every direction, only really wide enough for one person to work safely, but often worked by as many as ten. That far underground, the conditions of the mine became more and more hellish as time went on a feeling not helped by the later addition of a blacksmith's forge on the lower levels, built to ensure that no time was lost when workers needed to repair or replace their tools. Journals from the time reported a persistent smell of hot metal and the almost constant crackling of fire, along with increasingly frequent and disturbing glimpses of something else down in the mines. Nearing exhaustion, miners began to report visions of things moving in the dark. Creatures of fire, stone, and red-hot iron emerging from the shadows with hands outstretched, stumbling towards them as if begging for help or trying to warn them of danger. But Braddock dismissed these reports, saying that miners were merely superstitious and lazy by nature. So the mine kept working, Braddock grew richer, and the dark waited. December 5th, 1902. The day began like any other in the mine, though days didn't really begin with Shamsen's round-the-clock schedule. The night crew, exhausted and sleep-deprived, shambled out of the tunnels at the foreman's whistle, ascending five at a time in the tiny elevator cage. The day shift workers descended in after them, and five by five they left and entered the mine across one of the last hours Shamsen would ever see. It was almost noon before anyone noticed the fire. It had begun down one of the lesser-used tunnels, far from the sight of any of the other miners. No one knows quite how it started. Perhaps a lantern carelessly abandoned by one of the nighttime crew tipped over, or a small gas leak ignited before it had a chance to fill the mine. Many blamed the figures of shadow and flame they had seen but no one could prove it either way. By the time anyone noticed the smell of smoke, the fire had engulfed most of the timbers holding up that abandoned tunnel, then snuck a spark into the blacksmith's supply of fresh wood. The foreman gave the evacuation order immediately, per company policy. Greedy as Braddock was... He knew a mining disaster and the investigation that would follow would hurt his bottom line far more than losing a single day of work. The miners began to evacuate, sending the older and weaker up first, while the younger ones tried to fight the blaze, waiting for their chance to board the tiny metal box to safety. Nearly half of them made it out in the end. The last two escape later reported that they seemed to have the fire mostly under control by the time they boarded the elevator. A few of the braver ones decided to leave the relative safety of the central chamber to chase down any smoldering embers further down the tunnels. But just as those last five workers climbed out, and the operators prepared to send the cage back down again, a thunderous boom, shook the earth beneath their feet, rattling the entire town of Shamsen as a plume of smoke and dust billowed up out of the mine shaft. The miners called down to those below to see if everyone was okay. No answer came. No answer would ever come. To his credit, Braddock did try to mount a rescue operation, though his motives were most likely profit, not the lives of his workers. For three days, the miners who escaped descended to where the shaft had been blocked by nearly 50 feet of hard packed dirt and stone. Several times, a misplaced dynamite blast collapsed the shaft even further or an aftershock rumbled up from below and forced the rescue crew to retreat and wait for the earth to grow still. But finally, on the dawn of the day, they broke through the wall of debris to reveal the mine, now as dark and silent as the tomb it had always been. The central chamber had all but collapsed, the cheap timber-framed supports having weakened and failed in the heat of the fire. Those not crushed by falling rock had fled into the dark at random, and more than a few of them were found at the ends of the tunnels, fingernails torn off by their attempts to crawl through the merciless earth. Though what they hoped to find behind the walls of the mine nearly half a mile below the surface I can't begin to guess. When the rescue crews returned to report their findings, they found William Braddock's office empty, stripped of all records and valuables, and left with a window open. By the time anyone outside of Shampson learned what had happened, Braddock and every one of his shareholders had disappeared over the border leaving only the ruins of a ghost town and the wreck of a mine two miles outside of what would eventually become the city of Oslo, Nevada. It wasn't the most deadly mining disaster in Nevada. Not even the worst example of someone shamelessly profiteering off the death and misery of those who worked the mines. But it's certainly the most haunting. For as much as William Braddock seemed to think he held the lives and deaths of his workers in his own hands, it seems like he too was led along, drawn in by a thread of gold stretching far below the earth, compelled to send poor souls to their doom far from the light of the sun before the earth buried them deep. And there are some who say that golden thread still pulls those souls back into the mines. Or if you wander out into the desert on a cold, clear night, you can sometimes see the ghosts of those miners trapped in the fire, still trying desperately to return to their posts and pay off their debts to William Braddock and the Braddock Mining Company. (sighs)
1: <sighs> that's why I should never listen to anything you've written in the dark Anna god that is messed up I mean it's a true story but still I'm never gonna get that imagery out of my head hmm huh. looks like Shams Shamsen mine is just about ten minutes from here I wonder if... No. No, it's too dark out there right now. I should probably just... You know what? Screw it. I'd prefer to get something done today. It's about 7 o'clock now, and I finally made it into the canyons proper. I was going to start from the main trailhead, but it looked like there was something going on there, and I didn't want to attract any attention. I'm pretty sure this place is supposed to be closed from dusk to dawn, though I don't know exactly how you try to close the whole mine off. There's got to be two dozen of these box canyons all leading there from different directions. The only gate I've seen was at the trailhead. And yes, I did just read all of that off the internet, and yes, I'm also kind of rambling to keep myself from freaking out, but... that was nothing. Just the wind, right? Oh, come on, Kate. You know better than that by now. Let's see. I put it in the inside pocket with the rest of the... Shit, shit, shit. Oh, thank God. Good evening, officer. What the hell are you doing out here? Excuse me? This area is close to the public. How'd you get in here? Oh uh I must have missed that. I got in before the gate was closed. I'm so sorry I didn't realize how late it was getting until Red.
0: Who are you talking to? Oh great,
1: another tourist. Lieutenant Tyler?
2: Wait. Mrs. Sheridan? What, you two know each other? Well I, I wouldn't say we know each
1: other, but We've spoken once. Wait. Sheridan? as in anna sheridan god every damn time yes she's my sister what are you doing out here i thought you were staying in town i'm just chasing down some leads i think anna might have been out here at one point
0: so you came out in the middle of the desert after dark
1: do you have any idea how dangerous that is i can handle it myself lieutenant tyler be that as it may the mine is closed to the public. I'm sure you have a good reason to be out here this late, but it'll have to wait until tomorrow. Are you kidding me? I've been trying to chase Bill down all week. You think I'm just gonna leave now?
0: Yes, you are. Oh come on, Ned. I should I should probably just talk to her for a while. The Sheridan Tapes, episode 36, Gilded Tombs. Starring Aaron Neely Chaconis as Anna Sheridan, Virginia Spots as Kate Sheridan, Maurice Cooper as Jerry Price, Conrad Spots as The Nurse, Sarah Carnes as Laura Smith, Jesse Steele as Bill Tyler, and Ezra J. Wayne as Ned LaRoe, with original music by Jesse Hogan, Written by Trevor Van Winkle and produced by Virginia Spots and Trevor Van Winkle, and made possible by our supporters at patreon.com slash homesteadcorner and at koficom ficom slash homesteadcorner. Visit tapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and connect with us on Twitter at Sheridan Tapes, and on Instagram at The Sheridan Tapes. I'm Trevor Van Winkle, this is Homestead on the Corner, and you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes.